0: My first daughter Ayana arrives. I remember in the delivery room she's born, touching moment. An hour later, I'm in the the waiting room with my laptop open, fixing a bug, on the phone with a customer. <laughs> you know, our, our mom and dad are holding Ayana, and I'm just like here is baby crying in the best. Up everybody. I am Mike, co-founder of Spector. Brother and I have taken you all on a journey through the last five years of us building our eight-figure business. What's
1: up, Kev? What's up, dude? How do uh, how'd you feel about last week's episode, episode oh, one?
0: That was so fun. Like I'm I'm glad we're we're doing it again. And we're in a WeWork. We're actually like living in person for what wow. we, we haven't done this for like Year,
1: year and a half, maybe. Yeah, year, year and a half. So it feels good to be out and about. There's people, you know. There's a certain amount of people here.
0: People with masks on. Everyone doing it responsibly. So I love okay. it. Yeah, we're in a conference room. We're drinking coffee together. We're we're gonna chat about 2017, which this was the year we went from zero and just launching. And by the end of the year, I think we had like 200 customers, and we felt like, hey, we we have something on our hands here. And um, in my mind, this is the hardest year of of my life. And it was probably the most pivotal, I think, of like just the business. Like we created so much of what would be the core philosophies of our business in this year. So I think it's it's really important for us to just dive deep into this for a whole hour and see what comes out.
1: Probably the most important episode we'll ever do. Um, if you haven't listened to the first one, go back, listen to the first one, because that's the year leading up to launch. So this is just going to be all about launching. Um, so yeah, let's, let's get into it with basically an MVP, right? As everyone says, get your
0: MVP and get ready to launch. So that was January, 2017. And we followed, who's that? Like Paul Graham or somebody It's like, Hey, you should be horribly embarrassed by your first launch. And we kind of were, you know, I mean, I I think we felt pride until we started getting all this criticism. Since we announced it, people were like, Oh, you're missing this and that. And this is garbage. You guys will never succeed. Your pricing model's dumb. But, um, we launched it in January, and you had a sister site up that was starting to get some uh, Twitter followers. Yep. Um, and then we also, we had a couple of positive emails that made us feel like we're heading in the right direction. Like a few people that saw the potential, saw what we were trying to do. And that, just like those little kind of pats on the back, I think, kept us going through when we had, in January, with zero customers.
1: Zero customers, yeah. And it's worth noting too, that like once, before you charge money for anything, the feedback flows and it's comfortable. Everyone's happy. Everyone's optimistic. It's when you start saying, okay, we're gonna charge money for this, where it can get ugly, where people start really hammering you on feedback. And that's where I felt, started to really feel like, oh shit, like they're, he's not happy. This guy, you know, one, whoever it was, I think it was, a uh, that one guy, he's like a lawyer or something, but trying to be a home inspector. He's not even around anymore. But like <laughs> he, he was just so pissed at every stop, you know, cause he yeah. was like, I'm paying for this now. It's not working. And so, we were embarrassed and that's good. Yeah. That means we launched maybe at the right time. Yeah. I
0: don't know. Yeah, we got another in January. We I think we offered like discounted subscriptions, but like we were trying to charge something. Like we weren't mm-hmm. saying, hey, it's gonna just be free. right. We are trying to charge something, but we gave discounts because we're like, hey, we're new. Like
1: 50% off, I think, right. right? 50%
0: off. Yeah. For six months, I think we gave to a couple people. We had one or two subscriptions in January and February. So it was just enough for us to feel like we're not total failures. <laughs>
1: So let's talk about the official launch. So like InterNACHI, the biggest association in our industry, like 20, 25,000 members is, was kind of the game. That was the game in town That's where you wanted to be when you launched. And so we emailed their founder and said, Hey, we're new. We have software. And he was like, yeah, sure. Let's do it. He's all, that's how he is. He just says, let's launch it. Let's make an announcement on the forum.
0: But so. well, we we were scared as hell to email them because we knew he had a reputation for being bombastic on forums. Yep. And generally not super approachable. Turns out him and his brother were like amazing human beings that were like oh, yeah. so nice. Yeah. So supportive. Yeah. They're like, oh yeah, we'll put your stuff on our forum, we'll announce it for you. And um you should come up for this conference we're throwing together in our headquarters, which is in Boulder. We're we're in Denver. And so it is just very coincidentally uh lucky that the the headquarters, the main association in our industry was just an hour drive away. Right. And so we were like, oh, well, yeah, we'll come up there and like have a table. Um, what's it cost? And they're like, it's your first conference. You can have it for free. And so that was great. Yeah. Great.
1: Oh, let me go back to the the, the launch in the forum yeah. because yeah. I had read the forums, you know, at the advice of one of our mentors, um, Jeff Gladnick that runs his own SaaS company for dentists. He said, go hang out in the forums where your potential customers hang out and just be helpful. So I read the forums for probably a year and a half, you know, every thread I could find. And it was scary because these home inspectors, the older guys in there, they just rip people's heads off. They just shit on everything that's new. If you're a vendor, they hate you from the start. So I, I remember that post being so nervous that Nick Gromyko put up for us. Basically like, hey, Spectora's launching their new software, try them out. Yeah. And then I followed it up with a little post like, hey guys, here to help, you know, excited to join the community. And then like immediately get shit on like the first like five to 10 comments and just like, oh, those reports suck or no one's gonna pay $79 for that. Like I'd, I'd get sued if I used your software. Felt terrible, felt like getting bullied on the playground. We were demoralized, right? Yeah. And so that was that was our launch to the
0: world. <laughs> didn't feel watch. like it was going well. Didn't feel like it went yeah, well too well. just like, oh shit, we've been working on this for like a year and a half. They all and miss. we wasted of time. How are we going to do from here? Oh, that was tough.
1: Yeah, that was a rude awakening. That like, it just show, goes to show as an entrepreneur in your mind, you're like, we're close to this. We feel a certain way about it. And you just assume that everyone else does. Right. And then you're like, they don't care.
0: <laughs> as a developer, I... At, at that point, I was fondly reminiscing on the pre-launch days where I can just like imagine and create my code and feel like, oh yeah, this is all moving. This is like real progress. I will say to developers out there listening, like nothing is real progress unless it's getting customers unless it's growing your, your revenue. Like that is all that matters and everything else is just like, feel, feel good. good.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. on the back, but, and it hurts too. I think that's like, it's uncomfortable, right? To like hear an actual person email you one-to-one or call you and say, this doesn't work, I needed to do this. Yes,
0: it's it's painful. And especially most engineers in this world are shielded from their, their end users, right? Yep. There's some product managers, there's customer service and support it's somewhere in between the customer and the engineer. And so for any engineer trying to start, uh, product when they're talking directly to the customers. You just have to be ready to get a bunch of negative feedback. You have to be ready to, to just say, like, I'm going to hear this directly about what's wrong. I liked it because I think, you know, we always talk about empathy as one of our superpowers. Mm-hmm. Um, the ability to feel the pain that they're feeling motivates me for sure. And hopefully motivates anybody that works on anything that, you know, where your user's in pain. You want to fix it. You should want to fix it. You don't want to have that experience.
1: What would you say to, I mean, to, to me, okay. We had a dream scenario where you were comfortable hearing it directly from the customers and you like leaned into that. What do you, I mean, what would you even say to yourself if you weren't counselor minded, like you are or have that empathy? Cause there's a lot of devs that are solo founders that I see on Twitter and talk to. And then there's a lot of like combo teams. I don't get the sense all founding devs do this. But like, what, how do they learn
0: to get comfortable? Cause I think, I think, I think it's a no, I think it, you have to have this. Master. I a hundred percent agree. You know, I think, because obviously I don't, I'm not going to tell her, but Hey, go get a master's in counseling. psychology. Like, oh, <laughs> go spend much money. <laughs> but I think my years um, running an agency where we were talking, I was the guy talking to customers and then also building it and then getting their feedback and then getting their user feedback and making it better um you got to work like that somehow where you get to talk to customers directly hear the feedback parse it and dig into like the why's oh why do you want that button move? why do you want a different page there and then really think critically about that feedback and like have that product mindset like well let's figure out the underlying problem solve it um yeah just learning to communicate that, that's so huge and like the short feedback loops short feedback loops are huge
1: this was the beginning of the phase where someone would ask for a feature or say something's not working, they'd email Mike or myself and, and I'd send it to you on Slack or Slack channel, just meet you in it. And you'd be like, I tell them to refresh their browser, like 10 minutes later sometimes. And like that agile, you know, attention, I think won over the first five to 10 customers.
0: Yeah.
1: But it's the hardest thing to do is show them that you're for real,
0: that you're dedicated to making like this work for them. Yeah.
1: Because what, ha- what would happen if we waited a
0: week, right? I don't know. No, I, it was my okay. goal to solve anything when they were on the phone with me. Like, I mean, sometimes it would just be silence. They're playing with their kids and I'm just like, Hey, hold on. I'm just, just changing some code here. Give me a few minutes. Okay, but let's try this again. Yeah. And um, just like that customer support, because like some of our earliest jobs, like we come from pretty humble backgrounds, right? Mm-hmm. Like I worked in, I worked for VoiceStream before it became T-Mobile and their customer service <laughs> center is one of my first jobs. I worked at a hotel, um, cleaning rooms was one of the first jobs. And like, you know, you worked in a number of businesses. Scooped ice cream, was a
1: roofer, um, worked at Foot Locker for a long stand. So yeah, we've gotten beaten up, I think, customer
0: service-wise. Right. So we, but it's built into our DNA now where it's like, hey, you please the customer. You make sure that you do right by them. That's what you do. And so that, that had to have won over so many of our first customers. I think so. So, okay, so it's January, February, we still zero customers, we're both in this full time, we're making about $0. Yep. And we're we're starting to have to spend on, because we didn't spend a lot early on, we spent maybe I want to say 500 bucks for the domain name, right? And I think that was it. Like we had maybe a $500 fund that was, we were on like Heroku's free tier for everything, free Slack, our app would like go to sleep every night. And so like the first person in the morning had to (laughs) wait like a full minute for it to warm up. Um, everything was on the free tier. We would do crazy workarounds to stay on free tiers because yeah. um, we didn't want to pay for anything until we had revenue. We were this is like our dad's influence, right? Our dad is like mm-hmm. super frugal. He watered down the orange juice just to make it last. Like we had to learn how to make money last, right?
1: Don't spend money till you make money
0: um, was always
1: ringing in our heads. And like I, honestly, I look up now and I'm like, holy shit! All the things we could have spent money or like today we were doing the distractions of like everyone gets like notion and this and that tool and paid this and paid that to have gifts and we literally were spending nothing yeah. and so that kept our burn rate like very small kept our runway long so I, I don't know it's a way of thinking that i think we partly were raised on but we also it just common. It, it felt like common sense
0: it felt like common sense and yet as we would eventually get to meet other startup founders it obviously was not because we'd find so many people that were like, How'd you put it? They're like posers, they were like trying to fake, like, oh, I'm this big, like, startup guy. And they talk about all the things they're paying for, and then you ask the revenue, and it's like that doesn't add up. You're, you're losing <laughs> money every month to run your business. That's not a business. That's
1: <laughs> yeah. And in a non pandemic, like people getting like we work memberships and offices, maybe like I get it. If you got to get out of the house, get kids, mm-hmm. that, that's one thing for productivity's sake, but like just the general approach of just like unnecessary spending yeah. and that was
0: something we were very laser focused on whether by choice or by nature yeah so so first quarter 2017 oh conference so before the conference let's get into that a second but um at, in january so my wife and i have been trying for a kid oh, and okay so now we're pregnant so now i know in august my first kid will arrive i'm making zero dollars my wife's a special ed teacher we're, you know we're still renting a room in our basement to help like reduce our, our burn mm-hmm. rate as a personal like as a house financial unit like our burn rate is um, concerning. And then you have this kid come. and so I felt the fire under my ass. I know that that was a little scary.
1: Take us through that because' I've, I've heard on Twitter from a couple founders that are just like, oh yeah, I started a company, had a kid in the same year like and those stories are super relatable. so like did that what did that do for your fire
0: your motivation? or your fear <laughs> that it was that healthy anxiety that kicked me into the that high gear that i never knew i had where in my mind like spectacular had to work there was no i didn't want to get a job i wanted to be the father that could be present to be around when help was needed to have a flexible like schedule and um yeah not have to like get dressed up and go into an office <laughs> for eight or ten hours a day or whatever um and I wanted to I wanted to solve the, the money problem in my life that yep. I've always like pursued things that were interesting and enjoyable or things where I was learning, but um, I never felt like I was getting ahead financially. And so this was like, we picked a very pragmatic um, area and someday we'll get into how do you choose like what you tackle that'll be a future podcast episode, but we picked one that we thought, hey, we can do something here quickly on our own dime not seeking funding and so. That's part of it. But then yeah, knowing that you have to be responsible, like that provider instinct that that um at least many males in our society have been kind of indoctrinated into like you're the one that's supposed to provide. Oh man, like that's that's a heavy burden. It was a huge shift in mentality for me. And so I was quite content working 10, 12 hour days this entire year. Like it it was this long, long sprint that I don't know if I could do again. I had never done before. Yep. But um Yeah, that that was the effect for me. I don't
1: know how my mileage may may vary. Yeah. But like, I've heard that before of like, it, it has that, like, never everlasting fire because you want to provide and maybe create a life changing business, um, for you and your family. Um, that's really cool because I think it showed, I think I just remember you had like another gear that you found. Um, and I think everyone can relate to that when it's like, okay, like, and I think it's the quote of like entrepreneurs, the way one's crazy enough that'll avoid working 40 hours a week to work 80 hours a week <laughs> or whatever, or however that goes where, yeah. you know, you didn't want a job, you didn't want to get dressed, but then it's like, when it's our thing and it's something you're growing, you'll you'll do it 10, 12 hours a day to have the life that we're basically getting into now that we're like able to live now. So, um, yeah. that's cool to hear. That'll be another episode, I think on its own that you even do solo, just like digging into that.
0: So that's some of the context. So, so yeah, we're trying to get our first customers. We get this conference table. We have to throw together a few bucks to buy like the shittiest table cloth. <laughs> it was like, not even a table cloth. It was like a table runner because that was like right. only 30 bucks or yeah. whatever. And um, we ordered two polo shirts each yep. so that we had something like semi-official to wear. And we ordered a stack of like 250 flyers or whatever bare minimum number was that we can order. And- um, So what we spent, like a hundred bucks maybe? Maybe team yeah. And we show up at this conference, we're in the corner, we're
1: single you know, table, like so not a big, don't think like a typical conference, where it's a yeah. big, it's like literally like a desk,
0: yeah. I would say you and I are putting out our own personal old ass iPhones as the demo device on the table for people to play around with our our newly, you know, released app. And um, we're just trying to talk to anybody that would walk by. We're just like, Hey, how are you oh, doing? Oh man, you want to hear about Spectora? And we're we're finding our own voice and kind of trying to figure out like Come you remember
1: how that <laughs> Just peak uncertainty, peak imposter syndrome, peak like, all right, we're just fucking trying to meet people and be nice and personable, you know, and shake hands. And we've never been great at being schmoozy and salesy. So I think that that wasn't our angle, but it was more just like, Hey, how you doing? I'm Kevin. Uh, how, how's your day going? What, what are you learning today? Or what do
0: you use for software? We didn't know what the hell we didn't know anything. We didn't know what to say. And we were just hopefully <laughs> trying to absorb, right? We are just like, hey, tell me about your business. Like, how'd you get started? What'd you do beforehand? Like, I remember that was always my icebreaker line. And um, then they'd launch into stuff. And I'd always be learning, like, a little bit here and then. Uh, I remember some of the other software vendors would come by and kind of, like, you know, look down at us. And maybe someone would talk to us and be like, oh, let me give you some suggestions. Like, this this app, the way it loads, that shit. Like, you yeah, know, you know, and kind of making us feel like totally the new kid on the block.
1: That was... I don't even remember what came of it, but I just remember like, man, this is hard being a new
0: kid on the block. Um, I think we got a lot of business cards. I remember personally following up with every business card in the stack. Yep. It's like, hey, thanks for chatting with us. Here's a link to our software. Let me know if you have any questions, happy to help. Um, one of our first customers uh, came out of that, Max Schroeder. I don't know if he's still in business, but he was uh, oh, that's right. somebody that talked to us and he was like, oh, I like the design aspect. I used to be a software designer and now I'm getting to a home inspector. Just really like your vibe. And he became one of our first customers. And so something came
1: it. I think the lesson there too is that like our imposter syndrome was like at an all time high. And we felt that. So we were like projecting that in a way. But then also from an ins- a home inspector's perspective or any customer, they just see your booth, they see your banner, they see you have a product. So like they're probably thinking of you, of us higher than we were thinking of ourselves. So it's like in hindsight, you're like, they just thought we were another software maybe at the time. Right. So that's where you have to have that confidence and own it. And I I, I think we did. Oh, it's like, well, it's fading now. But I'm
0: like, I feel like we always at least presented ourselves. Well, stood up straight, right. shook hands, eye oh, contact, yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. We weren't those lazy vendors that just like sat behind a booth. We were always like milling about, circling about, trying to talk. Standing to in front of the table. Yes. That's like a, you know, I know conferences aren't a thing, but once they are,
1: it's like we were you you were very adamant about being like, Oh yeah, stand in front. Yeah.
0: We never behind. We still do that, right? When we go to conferences yep. and we bring like five team members, we're like, you don't sit down. Walk around. Yeah. And so the biggest thing that would come out of this, we were talking to everybody that worked at international the, the association. Gotcha. Right? And um eventually they were like, hey, we do this like new inspector training class. and now you guys do like marketing. Do you want to do just like a half hour talk and how inspectors can market themselves? And we were like oh shit yes (laughs) yeah let's teach your new inspector so every month we got to go up to boulder and do like a little talk to 20 or 30 new home inspectors me and they were they were just like yeah talk about whatever and so we get to plug our software a little bit but we're making sure we're delivering like real value Value. and that was huge so many early users came out of that class and it was just by us i think being approachable and friendly and wanting to give value and offer to help wherever we could um talk about that man that's I'm so grateful
1: for that opportunity um you know that's like serendipity your luck but creating your luck if you want to call it that but like when we were at that conference we i think we made it a point to just talk to everyone we could shake everyone's hand be friendly with the staff because they're nice people for one and two they were working hard to put on the event so just by kind of putting ourselves out there completely and being fully present they took a liking to us, so I think like there's just something to be said there for like being fully in any moment because you never know, right. like you're at a conference, you're with talking to whoever, you just never know what's gonna come. And so like that just blows my mind how we just got along well. They have younger, they skewed younger with their employees too. That helped. Where yeah. it's just like we're kind of the young kids in the industry. So if you can be in an industry where you're the young cool kids, that helps
0: for sure. Yeah. Um, but man, that relationship so serendipitous. Yeah. So by the end of the first quarter, by the end of March of 2017, so three months in seven subscribers, seven, seven customers,
1: seven customers, So we were making
0: about $500 a month,
1: <laughs> 500 MRR. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that felt
2: that's crazy.
1: cute. I see people on Twitter, like there's a building, yeah. everyone's building in public now. So it's like this thing where it's like people document everything and right. um, they're celebrating these, all these milestones. And it's great because I'm happy for them when I see it, when I'm just like, Dude, we were, we were like ringing the register every time
0: on Slack, you know? (laughs) And you know, we had so many like bug fixes that were going on during this time. You're starting to talk to people during the free trial. And I just remember like, oh, every day I'm just getting slammed with like, Hey, this breaks, this breaks, Is, is your system down right now? And it was, um, it started getting intense as users started to come on board. And, um, we benefited from some of those early people that we met. That they love what we're about they started like telling people they started posting in the facebook groups they start posting in the forums like hey give these guys spectora give them a look and so we created some fans and i think that's still something at the heart of our you know, growth strategy
1: do you think i mean that it sounds funny but like by launching quicker with an unrefined product allowed us the opportunity to build those fans because think about if we just had seven customers and then we just went to go look for a hundred more would we have built the same relationship where like you're on the phone with them, what like fixing things. I
0: don't know. I don't think so. Cause you know, I, I actually wrote down some of the names of our early people just to jog our memory. And uh, they're all like the vast majority of them are still very engaged. They're still our big, biggest proponents on, on Facebook. They still give us feedback. And I think it was so crucial to like set up that nature of the relationship where it's like we're founders that listen, the founders that care that want to, have that beginner mindset of like we're not we're not inspectors we don't know much about home inspection you guys are the experts you tell us we're the experts at building software building processes and systems such a good line
1: so that line yeah. works so well and it's funny in hindsight now if i was giving us you know advice four years ago it's like treat those first 10 people that use your app and engage with you like you're going to know them for five years because at this point we've known them for five years yeah and it's kind of amazing yeah to, to see that relationship grow so um So around that time, we had also launched, I'm gonna talk about the OPRs real quick. So like, we also, we were thinking like, what's our distribution strategy? How are we gonna get customers, right? It was just like, okay, we get shit on on the forums. We have no social, we have minimal social presence. We don't have any SEO yet. Um, So we launched something called an online presence review. So we were just leveraging kind of my background in SEO and digital marketing to say, hey, we'll review your website and your whole presence for free of course we had a motive of like you to check our check out our software so that hooked initial five, 10 people to where i put in you know a couple hours of work like literally giving them like an in-depth audit so like something an agency would charge like a thousand or two thousand dollars for um and that i don't know if that i think that maybe got us one or two you know people to engage and try us out but it was basically a reason to reach out to people so instead of just saying hey i'm selling you something it was just like hey i checked out your website notice your page speed is you know a little lacking Do you want a whole report on this? Like I'll do it for you for free. So that was a hook initially. I don't know how much it got us, but it's something there's always creative ways I think you can
0: add value. Yeah, it was huge. And giving value first before expecting to to receive any monetary gain. um, that was really big. And I think it also led to learning that a lot of our customers weren't comfortable with how to set up web hosting, how to where to get a website built for them, how to do basic SEO tasks. Um, marketing that, that was where there was a a lack of stuff in the industry. And so we were like, we'll do that. (laughs) And Here's a price tag that we pulled directly out of our ass. (laughs) And so for a while, I think that whole services side floated us. It it got us like another thousand in MRR where we were doing like $200 a month for this guy, $400 a month for that guy. And, um, based on how much time each one took. Right. right? And that definitely helped that first year where we felt like, cool. We're still going on the software piece, but the services side, we can count, kind of count on as revenue coming in to whatever it we'll start actually paying for like a roll bar subscription or upgrade Heroku from the not free tier. <laughs> and at the time I I had
1: built, I think a couple WordPress sites, um, but I wasn't proficient at all. I wouldn't consider myself an expert. And I think they kept asking like, Oh, do you build websites too? And then, you know, we looked at each other like, well, I guess we build websites now. So I, I learned by doing, yeah. and I think that's the biggest lesson there. It was like, all right, get really good, you know, spend hours and days doing tutorials, learn a bunch of different themes and mm-hmm. learn what good websites look like. So oh, yeah. you became
0: an amazing web
1: designer just from scratch. Necessity. Yeah. So yeah, I think that, that was huge because then you charge people for hosting um, and up keeping their site updated. That's an underrated thing. I think mm-hmm. you don't want to be an agency full-time of course, but gosh, like I, t- I I was used to tell them like, hey, you can go host with GoDaddy for like ten bucks a month, but good luck getting a hold of someone to like fix your site when it's
0: down right. or update a plugin. It's like, yeah. that's what I do. So yeah. that very we give them free edits, we take care of security updates, and it gave them because they already were buying into the trust factor with us. They knew that we were. We started building ourselves as, hey, we're going to be your tech team. Anything you need on that front, we will do, and you just worry about home inspecting because that's your job. And they love that. And so, yeah. So, suddenly we had some customers like, oh, yeah, I use your software, I use web hosting for you, I have my SEO and marketing services for you. And so, gosh, that really helped us. And then I think from a kind of business centric perspective, that makes it sticky, right? Because I do everything with them. From their perspective, it makes it easy. They write into one person, they're like, hey, I need these things, and here's some thoughts on this. It makes it easy for them instead of trying to piece together four different services to do it all. So, whether by luck or strategy, I don't remember which it was, but we just, you know, suddenly had a, ourselves another arm to a business. And I remember
1: Jeff Gladnick, he, he had that model, the hybrid agency SaaS, yeah. but then his advice to us was like, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, don't do it. Um, and we did it anyway. So I, I think, you know, advice comes and goes, I think like you could hear, you could probably find people in both camps where right. they're like, agency is expensive, it's it's unscalable, yeah. But it floated us for a while until the software ramped up, and yeah. so now it's a, a good chunk, like ten or fifteen percent of our business. So, yeah. take take that what you will. So, yeah.
0: um, so at some point in the second quarter, so like let's flash forward to May, sixteen customers. So six, um, sixteen paying six software customers. Five
1: months in, sixteen yeah. customers.
0: Um, we decide so there's a big kind of competitor slash integration partner. In our space, they they did like the business and scheduling tools, and we decide, hey, we're going to integrate with them. Um, it was kind of a friendly relationship, but that we were hearing that request from a lot of people, so we're like, okay, cool, we'll integrate you know, with them. But we're also building a lot of features to compete directly with them. And so that's kind of one of those interesting moves that, um, as you learn in the industry, you just realize some things you have to do. Some things, um, as you hear it over and over, you realize, okay, that wasn't our initial intent, but we're going to, have to
1: pivot. Is this a good time to talk about like? not f- like feature blackmail, where it's just like, early on you get requests for everything, every integration, like how did you tease out which ones would get us? Because all of them in, at first feel like they're gonna get you customers. But right. Like, which, How did you know which ones Gosh. to actually
0: do? I wish there was like good an answer to this. It's, <laughs> it's so complex. Like in my mind, there was this intuition of like, whatever we're hearing the most, what's it? Every time I talk to somebody, How close are they actually? Like, if I really built this, will they sign up? And having to ask those questions. Like, hey, if I built this, are you in? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, legitimately asking them, I think sometimes. Yeah, being so explicit, not really assuming anything. It's hard to ask early on because you know it's a scary question to say, like, will you pay us money? And there's definitely features we built that, like, I'm pretty sure that's still the only guy that uses it. Yep. Um, there's features we built and then so, you yeah, know, like they just ghosted us and we never heard from them again. And they are like, we built that feature for you. Yeah. And then there's like little things that we did that everybody's like, this is amazing. And I need to go tell everybody about how this is way better and all the competitors that come over and use Spectora. So, some of it's dumb luck. I think some of it's intuition and just like something that you refine as you go.
1: And I think we looked at which. How big the company was, and how it's like we would stalk people on social media and be like, Man, this guy's really vocal or yeah. whatever, and he's asking for this. And so, I think that I think maybe that influenced some of it too to yeah. say, like, this guy's going to be a megaphone on the and Facebook groups, things like that. Yeah. Um, which I know isn't the case for every industry, but
0: it sure helped with a couple of those main those first couple of integrations, I think. Yeah. And I think there's a certain persona that gravitates towards these new platforms where they want to be influential in the development of the platform and they're usually loud, and they will tell everybody when things are awesome. And then a year later, they can tell everybody when you're not listening to them anymore, because they still want that. <laughs> and so we definitely had a few of those guys, where they loved us initially, and then they were shitting on us a year later. That's okay. That's part of the journey, I think. How did we, how did we
1: make people feel a part of it, just by listening? Like, I'm, I'm trying to think of what goes into, like, those early raving fans. Like, our service, like an immediate responses, making them feel like you are a
0: priority. You're like our only customer, so that's one. Like, so let's let's do that one first. And you and I would have our email open on one monitor, and as soon as an email came in, it's like you and I were racing to see who can answer it first. And yeah, like, probably more so your responsibility when those heads down. Yeah, so how did you do that? Like everybody was getting thirty second response time via email, and we we're getting like several dozen, if not a hundred emails a day.
1: I mean, this might sound cliche and stupid, but like I was a hungry dog, man. Like I, I've been, I've been dreaming of that moment when someone actually gives a crap about our product and writes it. Like when I was working at Charles Schwab sitting in the cubicle, literally I was dreaming of the day where we had a product that people would pay us money for. So then in my head, I'm like, I just had, I just tried to vividly put myself in every moment and just be like. This person could pay us money someday maybe for 10 years maybe for 20 years and then go to, so i don't know it was just straight up hunger and fire i guess which is a very cliche blanket answer but like i don't know i, I fucking wanted it dude like i, I like that that feeling and, and this was so fun reminiscing talking back on it is like it's like i have to i want to try and like actually put this out there and get in the mind space of being like i want it all i want every single home inspector to yeah. know that we're we're here to like dominate. We're here to stay, and I feel like you can't do that if you're not answering like right away, direct, transparent, empathetic. And it doesn't really matter
0: what time. And I think you gave out your personal cell phone to some of the early customers too.
1: First hundred, I think, where mm-hmm. I was just like, hey, text me, call me any time of day, email me. Yeah, I remember we both jumped out of bed. I like oh, think yeah. you know
0: hundreds. I, yeah, my phone dings. Didn't matter if I was like in bed, if I was you know like eating, eating. Yeah, yeah. I would just be like, hey, do this. And shout out to my wife, Leah, who was so supportive. I remember during some of those 15 hour days of working straight, she would just be bringing me down like three meals a day and just be like, Hey, don't forget to eat. Don't forget to get up and stretch. Mm-hmm. And she was just so supportive. I can see that being like so influential and, and necessary during that year. If I didn't have her support, oof.
1: support a spouse, because I having lived through it, I we only have our own experience to speak on, but like, I'm so glad we didn't have work life balance because I, we'll never know how much that like contributed, but I, I can't imagine if you and I were like, you well, know, let's just call it a day at three and go play volleyball. Or like, let's just take a walk at the park. Like yeah. those customers float away. And right. so like the fact that we were like maniacs for like an entire year, yeah. uh, I just, that, I think that's the reason we're here. And so to yeah. me, when people try to do it all, I'm almost
0: like, yeah. are your customers gonna feel that yeah. energy? And let's be real, like that was so fucking hard. The sacrifices there. I know my health declined. I know my mental health declined and we didn't get to do as many fun things. Like that year there was like no vacation. Yeah, there was no fun. There was no, <laughs> was no fun. Yeah, It no was no fun that we were building business. I was energized. I was engaged every single day, but there was parts, aspects of my life that previously, like previously I worked out every day, but like, I used to play volleyball 20, 30 hours a week. And now I was playing, maybe if I got an hour or two a week, I was like, oh, yeah, I felt pretty good, but I got to get back to work, guys. <laughs> yeah, and it so, dropped off. Yeah. And so is the sacrifice necessary? For us, it was, I think. I don't know, maybe everybody else's spaces are different, niches are different, but like for us, I do not see how we could have gotten there without just having that, that year.
1: Yeah. That never turn off mentality. Because to me, it's like an odds thing. Now, in hindsight, of course, I don't know how I thought about the time, but like, yeah. it's like, do you want to, give yourself a 90 plus percent chance of like really making and becoming a player or do you want to give yourself a 50 percent chance by still keeping everything in your life like very uh um in harmony in harmony yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. just you know i think millennials are guilty of wanting it all right, right. you know we, we want it all and yeah. we want everything we don't want to work that hard but we want to have yeah. great everything but like
0: i want a multi-million dollar business <laughs> but
1: like i just can't <laughs> give up my social life and i need to cook and i walk my. Dog. Like, <laughs> uh, we stopped, I stopped watching shows. I stopped oh. watching TV and, you know, I didn't do anything else, but think about how to charge to a hundred customers. So oh. Oh. that's not to pat ourselves on the back, but that's just to say, like, literally we had blinders on and it was just like, there's nothing else that matters. Yeah.
0: Can I rant real quick? Anytime people are like, oh, I don't have time for that. What show are you into right now? if you <laughs> haven't an answered that fucking question, you have time. Put <laughs> out media. Don't listen to any podcast. Don't listen to all of that. Talk to your customers. Talk to customers, work on your product, talk to your customers. If you do anything else, it better be to recharge your battery so you can go and talk to more customers and to build your product. And like, gosh, you hear the excuses, then you realize, oh, I'm binging this show right now, or, oh, I'm trying to, (laughs) fuck that. Like, if you're serious about building a business, you have to throw yourself all in. And you can't do it on evenings and weekends. You can't do it from nine to five. Nope. That is not, at least in my experience. Let's not put our blanket generalities, but like, in our experience, that was the way. it, it felt like we we're like
1: all in two times over when we were like becoming like friends with these first, like 10, 15, 20, 50 yeah. customers. And we knew their fam- like you said, we knew their families, we knew their dogs mm-hmm. name,
0: right? You can't do that working part-time, right? You just can't. yeah so, right. so another thing I would do anytime I was debating how to build the next feature, I would email out like all the people that I knew would have good insight just go like, Hey, I want to get your opinion on this. Here's some mock-ups, give me some feedback. And people would be like very honored that they got to kind of dictate the direction of the platform. Totally. And and then they felt even more of a fan. And then they would go and tell other people, like, hey, guess what? I just helped create this feature inspector. Ownership.
1: Sure. Yes, yes. The ownership. Totally. Was that Facebook? When did we create the Facebook user group? Around that time? I
0: don't know. Probably around mid year, Maybe but so. Yeah.
1: Facebook user group, one of the biggest and most influential things because there's a centralized <laughs> place where our customers hung out. So, yeah. like, we're fortunate that Facebook has infrastructure where groups
0: mm-hmm. are just
1: easy to manage and maintain. Yeah. I can't, I couldn't imagine trying to manage like a millennials or gen, you know, right? Gen Z because yeah. they're all over the place around right. everything. Yeah. We're <laughs> fortunate
0: that inspectors are like <laughs> to 65 year old men that aren't Facebook. Just love chilling on Facebook.
1: Um, and so, yeah, we, we would go there to ask questions constantly and get feedback and distill that feedback. So yeah.
0: not easy to do. Um, so come summer. We have like 40, 50 customers, June and July. So That's a 2,000 MRR? Something like that. We're getting up there, right? Probably, it's probably close to 5,000 once you include mm-hmm. all of the stuff. So we're like, yeah. oh, damn, this is like a business now. It doesn't feel like trivial money. Right? I mean, it's not really enough to sustain a, a lifestyle. So we were paying ourselves over. yet? No, uh-huh. we wouldn't pay ourselves this whole year, I don't think. Okay, Maybe in December. But we were getting so many emails a day, so many bugs, so many feature <laughs> requests. Um, it, it was a lot. We were having database issues because like, we were just in bottlenecks. Yeah. I don't think I'm like this amazing engineer. I was basically trying to always move quickly, incurring technical debt. Not really, you know, we didn't write tests. Um, there's so many <laughs> quick, and quick and dirty. Truly quick and dirty. Move fast and break things, whatever you want to say and um and we were hitting some of those issues right and so i just remember feeling like the weight was on, on my shoulders to like make sure that these guys could do their jobs and when we're getting just like i, I wrote down some of the sample titles of emails of like crashing or urgent in all capital oh, letters well, or Spectora down question mark exclamation point question mark those were the titles of emails i was getting like every single day and um gosh it, it was a hard period but it was also one of those where I knew like, Hey, there's nobody else in the world that knows this system like I do. So I need to fix it because if I don't, nobody else will. There's no help. There's no phone friend. And that to me is like, we want every person in our team now to have that mentality of like, Oh, I can fix this. Like we don't ever want it to be like this is somebody else's problem because that true ownership I think is what leads to the motivation to get stuff done
1: and makes Customers feel like you're really in the room in the bunker with them. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about that for a second. So <laughs> that period was, and to give context, home inspectors, um, you buy a house, you get a home inspector for people that don't know, and they're doing the home inspection, typically with the home buyer and the real estate agent with them. High stress. High stress, right? So like. I know not everyone has a product where it's like, it has to work in that moment or else they're literally calling you. You're, you're fortunate if you have a product, right? Where it's just like, oh yeah, I could just figure that out later. Ours was like, he's in the driveway with two people staring at him. Yeah. He calls me on the phone and says, this is bullshit. Cat, this shitting. This isn't, you know, just cursing me out. Basically it was just, yeah. um, the lawyer guy, um, and I was just sweating. I, you know, I was sweating probably every other day because, <laughs> you know, Mike and I we were both just like, oh my God. All right.
0: The fix this comment and mike i know it's just hammering away um I'm, I'm hammering away you're being so like you, kevin's superpower is just a way with people like you have a way of sliding over to the side of the table with anybody making them feel at ease making them feel like hey i got your back we will fix this and so i felt like you were almost the the shield sometimes of all those negative emotions and then you would relay to me what needed to happen in a way that didn't put the stress on me as much. <laughs> usually, <And> so usually. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. I'm hitting the panic button, like ah, it's working for no, no, man, you did it so well, way better than you think. Because then I felt like, okay, cool. I feel the the urge to fix this, but I don't feel like the anger that's gonna you know, like make me kind of buckle. And so then that just let me like get down to business. And you're like talking to him, and then we're checking in in the background on Slack. And so whether that was intentional or, or just by accident. It was good.
1: goes back to empathy. Right. Because I I put myself in that picture of myself in my house, you know, I had a desk out in the living room because it's just like, we didn't have a home office that is. And just on the phone with like Ryan and John and just being like, man, like genuine empathy of like this sucks. I'm so sorry. Like we, of course, we don't want you to go through this. Like, we're going to make it better. Like Give us a minute, whatever. And just telling them like, Hey, stick with us. Like, stick with this like we're dedicated to make this work and just telling them really how you feel as opposed yeah. to maybe the robotic like i'm sorry you're experiencing that well you know i'll file a ticket but you know it's like no no no. like i'm talking to mike right now we're going to work on this like it yeah that's like in that's like just the real in
0: the bunker mentality i don't know Gosh. and that authenticity and empathy of just like fuck, dude i'm so sorry like your your business is being impacted by this that's on us we're going to make this right like What can we do? Would you like some credit so that next month is free? Yeah, like we would do that so often because we're just like, what's extreme ownership, right? yeah This is all our fault. Even if they did something like kind of wonky, like in terms of flow, it's like no, our software allowed that to happen. Like we're never blaming the user for anything. Yeah, like it's it's on us, and we're gonna make it better.
1: Because we need raving fans at that point, and we need like rat like people that just literally will tell others. And I think you can't do that if you're like. No, you're still going to pay for this like buggy software. It's like not really working. You yeah. still need your money. It's like no, no. We have runway, and that's why you know mm-hmm. the last last week we talked about having runway. Yeah, I think that impacts your decision making. So when you talk about runway, it's like, are you going to give that credit over generously? Right. Or are you going to like be like, no, no, I need that
0: sixty bucks. Right. Oh yeah. If you're too focused on that money, you know, it's nice. We didn't have investors to make demands of us. We had supportive spouses. We had some money in the bank with savings to prepare for these exact moments. Like that was also key. Like when people think it's like, uh, suddenly you got lucky. It's like, no, we spent probably many years of our life preparing for this kind of situation. Right. We'll do a whole episode yeah, on that. But yeah. so yeah, that we did a lot of things that it would be hard to, to replicate different phases of life too. completely let's also be real that like post having kids, I can see what we were doing there as being like a lot more difficult. Very difficult, very different. But um, during that time period, we did what we had to.
1: But I think if, yeah, like I'm thinking of like, if, if someone's in a phase of life or if you were in a phase of life where we're just not where we wanted to be, or we didn't mm-hmm. have a business and our finances weren't great. Maybe, it, you know, I think those are the conversations in real households of like, you know what, I'm gonna sprint for a year or two to try yeah. to change our life forever. It's like, right. but anyway, so August comes, gosh, <laughs> August comes. You have your first kid.
0: My first daughter Ayana arrives. I remember, in the delivery room, she's born. Touching moment. An hour later, I'm in the wait the waiting room with my laptop open, fixing a bug on the phone with a customer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> our, our mom and dad are holding Ayana, and I'm just like here, they crying in the background. Oh fuck! We might lose this customer. Like we cannot lose this customer. And um, that to me was like one of those crystallized moments that epitomizes the the entrepreneur hunger and discipline, that is Necessary. I don't like. Yeah, I did not feel like a good dad during the first year of my own life. Yeah, that was a in my mind that was the sacrifice that was needed so I can be a great dad for you know yeah. the rest of her life. And. um Gosh, that—that's just one illustration of it. So
1: we had 71 customers at that time. So it's just like losing one yeah. mattered, right? Absolutely. And so, um I don't even remember like how much time you took off. It wasn't
0: much. um I think you just needed like a day or two. I don't even remember what. I don't remember either. What were your thoughts when you're like, oh fuck, Mike's about to go have a baby? Like, what's oh, going to happen? Oh man, I was like, this
1: is terrifying. <laughs> this is you know, just thinking of like the, the time and the effort and some people's mentality changes um, in, in many different ways, whether it's hunger or it's just like the pressure to be there, you know, and be a great dad. Like I've been there and it's like, yeah. it consumes you. And sometimes it makes everything else less important. And so I was so conflicted, obviously, because it's like, it's family on one hand, and then it's also our other baby Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> going to feed us. We can stop paying us. yet, yeah, But it's like, there was still so much
0: uncertainty too honestly yeah. there's still we didn't know we were gonna make it when we had 71 customers no. so there was inklings because i remember the conversation like earlier in the year with between me and Leah was like hey by the time my aunt was born if you guys aren't making I want to say it was like 10k a month or something you should try and find a job <laughs> you should find some sort of contract position something to like yeah. make sure we have income right because Leah was gonna stop working right be and, yeah, and, and and then we were like, "Are we going to sell a roommate when we have a kid in the house?" And so that conversation put even more fire under my ass. I'm like, okay, by the time she's born, that was like my ticking, you know, yeah. like my doomsday clock or whatever. And um, and we didn't quite have it by August, mm-hmm. but I was like telling Leah, "Hey, give us like two more months. We're close. We're feeling the momentum build. I do believe this is going to be a good thing. But we, I, I can't go looking for a job right now." And she was like, cool, I'll, I trust, trust you. you. I, I see the momentum building, so keep going. And um, and so I think that led to September. We were like, we're gonna do a one-time annual sale, like steep discounts, but we just wanted to get a one-year commitment from like this, these loyal fans that were paying monthly, the people that were maybe on the fence, we just mm-hmm. need to give them like a steep mm-hmm. discount. And, um, and so we put it out as like the one time we were trying to be like Apple, right? Like we don't give one-time sale, the one-time sale. And what was the sale price? What do you remember? Like was remember. it- It was this product like 20% off, 30% Okay, off. So yeah. effectively like maybe 60 or 70 a month paid annually, right, yeah. something yeah. like that, okay. And when we did that, it kind of worked. Like we had not, not like hundreds, it was like several dozen to where we saw the bank account and we're like, oh, whoa, that's like a, a sizable figure. like. We're on to some point here. Yeah, that it was
1: terrifying because we I think we question every every business questions themselves like to make to do sale, not do sales yeah. like price higher than always discount or just right. be bottom of the barrel. And, yeah, and we, so I, I think we took a risk there based on, I don't know, int, uh,
0: intuition of like, yeah. let's
1: see if it works, yeah. let's
0: test it out. And I think it was a way of testing the commitment of our customers. Like if it didn't work, then we'd know, hey, maybe our product's a little too shaky. Like if they can't buy you for a solid year. True. So knowing that some people were like, they they felt trust in us enough to commit for a year. That felt good. Yeah. Like the dollars don't matter. It was the trust feeling of like, ah, you have some people that are with us. What did we, did we spend on anything after that? Maybe we, uh, instead of piping every error to Slack, we bought bar. We bought bar. <laughs> <laughs> like, what did yeah. we Like, so that's a hundred
1: customers who probably had 10, 10, 20 grand maybe at yeah. the end of the year yeah
0: yeah
2: and um yeah oh and also in September I think we got our first like serious offer for acquisition which was like whoa oh man that's right yeah so there's a, a player in the space that was starting to like acquire smaller companies and they offered us like it was two million dollars but it was mostly in um, stock stock in our company memory. and you know, there's like golden handcuffs for three years at what, you know, we were very like skeptical of the offer mm-hmm. overall, but just the fact that people saw some value in what we were building. Um, like we kind of debated if we should, but then we're like, Dude, we see so much momentum here. We're not going to sell yet, but it was, we thought about it. We thought about it. I remember I was out in my yard, sitting on the mm-hmm. hammock and like really having a deep discussion with you. Of, like, oh, wait, we've worked on this couple, like two and a half years. We work for three years. We have maybe a million in the bank. That's like, that's like yeah. changing money.
1: And this was a company that raised a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and their CEO flew out to meet with us. Mm-hmm. I remember that, and I remember like it was yesterday. And that was terrifying because we didn't know what that. I mean,
0: still, we, you know, like, yeah, yeah. When you're just working
1: out of your house, and then you're like suddenly having all this like corporate jargon speak with someone that's like well-versed and has sold yeah. multiple companies. We were just like trying our best to just like yeah. I don't know, speak like. We know what's up. Yeah. <laughs> when we in reality know. we're just like,
2: ah, I'm Googling like run rate. <laughs> accretive. What does accretive mean to your revenue? Like, ah. uh, <laughs> Out of our league, right? But but it made us feel like we're on this validated. In validation. Way. Yeah. Massive validation. So September was like such a joyous month for us, I think. Between that and like the, the one-time sale, um
1: still haven't paid ourselves a dime.
2: Still haven't paid ourselves.
1: So that's the lesson in itself of like. You know, there's always that game of like, check the business bank account, see how much is going up. That feels good. You don't want to take any out because then you feel like it's like chipping away at something you've been working (laughs) at. And so there's a little bit of that, but on
2: top of, um, I think we just didn't want to get too ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Right. We have always been late to spend on anything. Late to spend. Yeah. And um, that's something that I think just now, five years in where we're starting to like hire ahead when we need it. Yeah. That it's just now. We still don't pay for Slack. Right. No, (laughs) sorry, Slack, if you're listening, one day, if you give us enough value. But yeah, late
1: to spend of like, do wait until it kind of hurts in some ways. And some people, I bet would have the opposite philosophy, where they're like, get ahead of it, you know, spend. We just took the different approach where um, we felt late to make every purchase and hire.
2: Maybe this is a difference of bootstrapping versus if you get funded, maybe you should get all the tools hire well ahead of when you need it. So you have the infrastructure. To grow. Yeah. Bootstrapping especially if you're coming from very little money in the bank the mentality worked for us. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, I think to this day, I think you even build a culture of that. So like even your, your first hire, second hire, just showing them like, okay, what's the true need for this tool? Yeah. Like, how's that going to equate to revenue? Right. That's a hard question to answer. Yeah. Then what are the workarounds?
2: What are the workarounds? How much time does it cost to do the workaround? Yeah. That is, yeah, those are the questions that we still ask anytime somebody comes to us with like, hey, I think we need this tool. We're like, well, we've been getting by fine without it. Tell me. Tell me why. How's it going to impact us?
1: Bootstrapper DNA right there, man. Yes. Like that's, uh, there's so much distractions and noise right now with like, yeah. you need this tool or this enablement thing and right. email newsletter. It's like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you need day, to pick up the phone. Yeah. Yeah,
2: just of the <laughs> <laughs> so we're rolling into October. So we'll things be-
1: pick up steam in October, November, looking back at these numbers.
2: October. totally. So October, we get to about 150 paying users. Um, we're getting some of those, like, it's a different kind of user. Some of them are not the early adopter. Like, I'm totally cool with, like, giving impact and bugs. And they're the type that just sign up and don't talk to us. And so this we'll is see- word of mouth at, going, at work yeah. at this point, right? This is where word of mouth starts to really pick up steam. Yes, which of course we've never spent on advertising at this point. Everything is either you and I, direct outreach or word of mouth just being active in forums and Facebook groups. Like our marketing budget is still zero dollars.
1: No, it's a couple grand advertising. So we're putting out ads, we do are a little we? bit. Yeah, Capterra, we do some stuff on there.
2: Oh, I don't, I don't remember if we are doing that already.
1: Okay. Oh, no, not back then. No, no, at this point, you're right. No, no,
2: now we are, but yeah, at this now point, you're right. It but back then, we it was just all our time. Yeah, our, our time. We were marketing. And Everything so, we did was our time, yeah. And so we're finally starting to spend on stuff. I think we upgrade, you know, like Heroku to, to like higher premium dinos or whatever it is so yep. that we uh, are just less apt to crash. Um, and October was super fun because Denver Startup Week is this like big event that happens in Denver. Oh, yeah. and um, And we're like, dude, we're like, legit startup founders now we're like because <laughs> we've gone the previous year attended some sessions and just absorbed knowledge but we we're still such imposters right yeah. we didn't have a company we didn't have customers this year we're like dude let's like get ourselves some startup t-shirts and let's like just go around to events and people will ask us about what's a, what's spectora and we'll start talking to them and so we met a few other friends that were like in the startup scene that um it's it's fun like we we were friends with them a couple of them that work in our company and um you know, one of them, his company got bought out and he's on his own different journey and we still keep in touch. And so this was so cool to, to network with other people doing the same thing we were. And somebody that we can talk openly about, like, oh, we're at like 12K MRR, isn't that crazy? And you celebrate together and you get excited. And so like there, nothing
1: replaces going to a massive startup event. I know Austin has their, you know, South by Southwest. I'm sure there's plenty in San Francisco, but like something like Denver Startup Week feels special. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if we're just in the bubble, but like, they say it's one of the biggest events of its kind where people are just, it's all startup people walking the streets and yeah. hanging out. Yeah. And events at um, there's kind of like a Cribs version of startups where you go and see, it's just so inspiring. So like, I think that was fuel for us to be like, we're a part of this now. Like we're, a part, we're, we're real startup bootstrap
2: guys. Yeah. Now. Part of the community. And I think sense of community and like having people to both commiserate with and celebrate with is so important because, This can be a lonely thing, especially like, it's great that that we have each other, right? Like you and I would just talk to each other, help ourselves through the dark times. But like, I can't even imagine the plight of the solo founder where you're just like, it's in a bubble, you better find some other founders to hang out with.
1: I think that's why the build in public thing is so big on Twitter. It's like, that's their community. They can like speak to someone. Whereas like, we just talked every day for like two years straight, basically. So, which that's a whole other, that's a good episode. I think topic too, of like how to stay connected as co-founders because- I think it's easy to kind of get lost in
2: your own lives versus like okay what's the goal what are we doing yeah uh-huh. uh, we maybe around this time started like shopping around for some contractor help like we had a couple misfires we didn't really know how to hire well we were just we were like oh well how pe- people like us <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out it's really hard to have people that you know have the same hunger and motivation for what we could afford to pay which was not much right and so we had a couple misfires. What do we do? Just throw out stuff on like uh, Indeed or Craigslist probably. And Yeah.
1: Yeah. We had no idea where we were going. Yes, yeah. yeah. We had some
2: good people that just didn't maybe have like the skill set and the like dedicated time to do what we wanted to do. And we didn't know
1: we were looking for it because we did
2: a little bit of everything every day and we're so scattered. Yeah. And so it's like, boy, hiring at that phase was like. Yeah. We kind of set people up for failure and, <laughs> you know, and especially because it was like a contractor position because we couldn't afford like, I don't know if we could have afforded it or not. We didn't want to afford like full-time employees right. and think about benefits and all those things that just seem so like next chapter yeah and not even having time to step back and think about kind
1: of like what we were just sprint in sprint mode heads down right. and so i think before, you know when
2: you don't even have time to sit and think about what is in your job description or what you're really looking for it's like no wonder they didn't work out yeah we were just like we had somebody start and like hey um answer emails when they come in and then build websites without not <laughs> doing that and then we have these marketing plans so can you write up some like just newsletters that right. we're going to send out on their behalf and oh yeah keep learning the software because we're building features fast so make sure you know everything coming out in the industry that yeah. you've never heard of that you didn't know existed yeah. and this poor guy's like i have a kid and like i don't, I don't have 80 hours a week like you guys do and yeah I'm just, yeah and so great dude but it just wasn't like good we didn't know it was our failure as managers we had totally. to learn that the hard way over the course of like the next year right but um Man, we get into November, we have like 184. By the end of the year, we end up with like 206 no. 206 software subscribers, 25 web hosting accounts, and seven SEO plans, which totaled like a 30K MRR. So we went from zero to 30K MRR one year. in one year. Like I said, hardest year of our lives, but man, so, so much happened in that year. And it felt like by the end of the year, like, hey, like this still feels like you could all fall apart, but we might be able to pay ourselves here. And I think in December we might've ran our first payroll. Like wow. we said, Hey, let's pay ourselves 2k each. Cause I remember that was like my, if I paid myself two grand, like we would very frugally that, to make that, this work. That was like, cool. Our savings would flatline. Like that's my mortgage plus bills, groceries. Right. Um, so yeah, that was like, I think we hugged and then got back to work. You know, that was like our celebration.
1: Well, and this is funny. Everyone says celebrate, uh, you know, small and big wins. And we always talked about it. I think we never did, but like we, we, we like virtually high-fived or I don't know what we did. We hugged. Maybe we, maybe we got, went out and got like dinner, Yeah, but we probably didn't. We were probably just like at at 400 customers at 500 customers, we're going to go big. We still have, you know, every we bit, talking, bit, but here's,
2: here's how shitty we are celebrating and something that we're starting to do better just now. Um, one of our first customers sent us a gift certificate to a fancy restaurant here in town mm-hmm. for 200 bucks. And we're like, dude, we're going to use that once we hit 200 customers. 200 customers. yeah. I think we actually use it when we hit like 1500 customers just last year. <laughs> <laughs> and the gift card just sat there. And I think that that speaks to something that's probably a good topic for another
1: episode of like, wanting to celebrate and many celebrating in our heads, but we never really let ourselves fully like feel like we made it. I right. don't know. And I don't know if that kept the hunger and the fire going of like, yeah, you know, with the target moving or, or if that's really unhealthy.
2: I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. I, I know that only in the recent, like couple of years have I felt like, Oh, we're not on shaky ground. Our life is pretty good now. And we're we can relax a little bit. I'm
1: going to buy those new socks. I'm going <laughs> to buy those new boxes, whatever, you know?
2: Right. And so, um, I don't know. I think for everybody, they got to understand themselves and yeah. know like, hey, either you need like constant celebrations to, to keep motivated or maybe you like seeing that next hurdle in front of you. Every time we clear a hurdle, we look to the next. Yep. And um, I don't know. Maybe that's more how we're wired.
1: That's true. Everyone's different. I think some people like that um, reward that motivates them. Whereas me that, that I don't like, I don't want to feel comfortable and complacent. So I'm always just like, all right, next goal. Cool. Yeah. We'll celebrate later. And yeah. then organically celebrate when it happens. Yeah. So man, hell of a year, I feel like we just relived it. Like I'm t- I'm like a little exhausted where I'm like, wow, that was a, a an all out sprint. And it truly was, I think like, yeah. I'm tr- we're trying not to be revisionist historians here of like, yeah. Oh, it was this way. It's like, no, it, it was a blur.
2: Yeah. It was totally a blur
1: of uncertainty,
2: sleep deprivation. <laughs> what yeah, what do you if you just had to f- pick a few words to describe 2017 as a whole, what would they be?
1: Relentless, Sprint, um, empathy. Um, I remember listening to like the same rap song like is a song by Big Sean called Fire. I'd wake up and listen to it literally every morning for the entire year. Like that's how weird, I, I don't know what you want to even call it, but like somehow I identified with like the hustle and the grind of that song where I just like the first line about something like waking up and getting to it where I was just yeah. like, that was it. I know it's more than a couple words, but like that, that I woke up and listened. I still listen to that song and almost get emotional because I'm just like, mm. man, I woke up and just got so hyped to just like, <laughs> either get yelled at or <laughs> to, to, to like hear about bugs or to yeah. fail at reaching, you know, the next yeah. few customers. But like, you have to find ways to fuel yourself.
2: I don't know if it's, if it's words from your spouse or music or I don't, yeah, I don't I know. just use music. Yeah. I don't know what it was. I remember. So there's a room in my basement that I turned into the office, right. Got a standing desk. So I was like, okay, I can't just sit for 12 hours a day or whatever. And then we got a single bed in there because sometimes I was way too late. And so I, I would just crash on the bed. <laughs> and then as soon as the sun hit, I would get up and just go to my desk. So I spent like most of the year within this like 10 by 12 room and um, gosh, it was so hard. I remember speaking of being emotional, some song came on um, by Nathaniel Rateliff, And there's like these lyrics saying like, you haven't worked hard enough. You didn't. And I just started breaking down and crying because I was just like, Yeah, we worked so hard that year. And this was once we had like almost two hundred customers towards the end of the year, and I felt like this is going to be this is going to pay off. And and this is the part that like, gosh, so many people don't see because by the time you start hiring employees, by the time like you're getting that thousand, two thousand, three thousand customers, distant memories like, oh, these guys are just made. They created this platform. Now they're like rich or whatever. And it's like, man, the sacrifice, the pain, the impact on family life on health on all these things
1: lots of little decisions Ooh. man like am I going to answer that email am I going to go to my computer right now and like right. take the time like it's a, <laughs> a
2: yeah. lot of micro decisions oh, they say a startup isn't just one good idea it's like a million ideas all strung together over the course of years and it is sometimes that decision those decisions am I going to do this right now or am I going to just like ignore it until tomorrow am I going to build this thing am I going to just keep getting up and doing this every day. And um, it's so hard. And yet I, I remember I definitely have fond reminiscence of this too. Mm-hmm. Just like, I've never been more into anything in my life. Yeah. Like this is that it became so like consuming of just like, we are going to throw everything into this. Like we're going to leave nothing on the table. We, there won't ever be a reason to look back and be like, I should have done more. Should Yep.
1: No, this, you have to treat it like a, uh... I don't even like football, but like your Super Bowl, you know, as good, whereas like if you're raising a hundred million dollars and you're, you're competing with Instagram, it's easy to be that way because mm-hmm. like you're changing the world and you're, you're rallying around an idea. Right. When you have niche software for veterinarians or uh, truckers or home inspectors, like that needs to be your world. And like you, you have to treat it as if you're you're going to change the world for those people.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Whew, this was a lot. Let's wrap. Yeah, let's <laughs> wrap here. That's awesome, dude. I think this will yeah. be great. Um, uh, this has been a good, good conversation. Um uh, gosh, if anybody's listening has questions about us like diving more deeply into any of these pieces or concepts we brought up, let us know. Because the, these are the things that we're gonna keep going into on the podcast. Like we're gonna start the first few episodes with like the broad overview and then we're gonna dive deeper into individual decision points, different strategies, anything like that. So much to talk through. So email
1: us, tweet at me. Um we'll do we'll do more.
0: Alright, cool pa 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 pa